Welcome back to another Untitled Movie Review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside he's allergic to tomatoes, but he's tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. This is the number one song in heaven. Love it. Yes, uh, this is a Sundance review. Today we are reviewing Edgar Wright's The Sparks Brothers, his first feature-length documentary. I think his first documentary in general, right? Yeah, I mean, he's done some behind-the-scenes stuff with, um, you know, blu-rays and and things like that but um yeah this yeah in terms of like a feature length documentary this is his first cool i love that i love um you know um directors like you know with such a distinct style like um like edgar wright kind of you know going outside of their usual you know fiction or or, or narrative feature and, and doing something like this and it always tends to be music documentaries a lot of the times with like auteur directors and stuff right i mean like it goes back to what martin scorsese said where like yeah he always talks about documentaries being the chance in between you know doing narrative films to be even more experimental and to really play with the form and the medium and it kind of you know, ups your game or gives you new ideas to bring into making narratives and not just to say like, oh, well, documentaries are just meant to be like, you know, training exercises or something for, you know, skilled auteur filmmakers that don't, you know, necessarily always make documentaries that aren't always in the documentary realm. But, you know, like he's always talking about like the way that, you know, his movies are made. He, he owes a great debt to documentary filmmaking because documentary filmmaking, is a lot harder to do uh, sometimes than narrative films because narrative films, there is a certain amount of control. I mean, obviously what you read on the page versus what you shoot, then what you, you know, make in post-production will always kind of change and transform and, and sort of evolve over the process of a production, but at least you have guidelines and actors and you're kind of, sort of course correcting the narrative to a certain extent with documentaries there's this appeal and danger of not knowing where the the movie is going to go or where the narrative is going to end up playing how it's going to play out like you might have written down in an outline or an idea of like okay this is the kind of movie I'm going to make. And, you know, some documentary filmmakers will follow that through line, but then or they'll be so heavily researched that it's going to kind of stay there. But yeah, with something but- like this, where you're just learning about the history of a band and interviewing people, it can kind of take you in places based on your conversations or the research that kind of happens as you're making it. Yeah. And that's what a good interview is as well, right? Like you can have questions and be prepared to have a conversation with your subject, but if you're listening to them and having a conversation and they bring something up and it's interesting and worth following, that also helps with, you know, the B-roll and coverage that you get to sort of craft, you know, a film together. And what I love about this is that, I mean, Edgar Wright is, you know, even he's in the movie as as one of the interview subjects as a fanboy and he knows yeah. the Sparks brothers, uh, Ron and Russ, male inside and out and, and has been a fan for for decades. I mean, this 
this duo, this this brother duo uh, music act, this group, have been around since the 1960s. So that's over five decades. And it's incredible to think that like as prolific as they are releasing 25 albums over the course of their uh, discography, um, that they're still weirdly unsung uh, outside of kind of fringe groups and sort of niche audiences and, and people that really love them. It's, it's, it's a cult appreciation, but at the same time, and as the documentary explores how pivotal their role is in influencing music, like th- there's this whole conversation about like, you know, craft work being instrumental in sort of bringing uh, computers and technology into uh, music and, and, and lyrics and writing. But, you know, they wrote a, a silly little kind of song called Computer Girl, uh, you know, that that predates- In the late 70s, yeah. Early, no, that was the early, that was the late 60s. That was- Oh, was that, it? 60s? Yeah, so late Holy 60s, crap. early 70s with Computer Girl. And then, like, with Synth, they predated- like what the eighties would be in 79 with Giorgio uh, Mortar and, and, and sort of like creating the sound that would define that, that decade, a, you know, a year before the decade even began, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy to think that like these guys, like, like a lot of bands that get sort of referenced. I mean, we, we, we've talked about this before with like talking heads and David Byrne being a huge influence on certain bands. And, and I was going to bring that up because um, in fame, Infamously, I hated the American Utopia at TIFF. Right. Spoilers. But that I was a different this, kind different of documentary movie. where this I almost I think I think American Utopia personally for me is a better film because it's more experimental. Yeah, I, I and it's not necessarily yeah. about I mean, it is about his career. It's about David Byrne's career in the Talking Heads, but it's kind of but more. They're hard to compare because they're abstract. very different movies. Yeah, yeah, this is this is a fairly traditional documentary, kind of a, a love letter to both Ron and Russ and an appreciation to somebody to a, a, a music act that hasn't gotten their due, you know, yeah. and, and is always weirdly like on the cusp of kind of like breaking out, especially in like 79 to 84 and just like, they're so close. And then yet, you know, because they never sold out and never kind of went in the kind of popular sort of you know direction they always were changing their sound and adapting and always stayed weird so it always kind of felt like it was just outside of breaking yeah, through which is which is wonderful but they and, and i hate using this because it's such a cliche kind of like you know meaning but they were always kind of like ahead of the curve or ahead of their time you know and in, in terms of what um you know music was and always reinventing themselves like they start off as almost like you know, that's the other thing. They're 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 an American band. They're a California. They're as, as Californian as the Beach Boys, but they have a European flair. And I remember the first time that I ever listened to one of their songs, which is "Armies of the Night" from the Fright Night soundtrack. And that's that was kind of my like my gateway <laughs> nice. into into knowing who they were. I thought they were French. You know, the way that their 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 vocal sound and the way that their their music plays. Um, they have a European quality and they are more popular in Europe than anywhere else. Yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't super familiar with sparks, but I'm, I'm a moron when it comes to music, which I've stated time and time again, like you put a, I always say gun to my head. You tell me to name two songs from any artist. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Unless it's like, Biscuit. Yeah. Yeah. Nookie and, um, now, give me the Limp Biscuit documentary, and I'm in. 
Um, no, I, I actually quite enjoyed this. Um, I, I do have some issues, which we'll get into, but um, uh, mostly with the length and just kind of how the documentary kind of, I feel like, loses its steam a little bit uh, halfway through or three quarters of the way through. But um, I mean, right from the opening credits, um, I think Edgar Wright kind of injects his kind of uh, energetic style into the movie right away with, you know, the opening fanfare stuff I thought was fantastic. And then just the way that he does the talking head kind of interviews, they're very, you know, classic in the way that you would see in a in a music doc or just a doc in general but i like that he whether it's the questions he asks or i really loved you know the lower thirds the titles that he was giving each each person because like that's the kind of stuff and even the way that he was mixing in you know uh, uh archival footage with new stuff with uh, recreations with animations like it almost felt like much like the band themselves that Edgar was kind of taking the music documentary genre and kind of both poking fun at it but then also making something very sincere and genuine which is I feel like comes through in a lot of their music as they kind of showcase um throughout the doc but um no i i thought it right away i i love the energy that he threw in it i loved kind of the poking fun at it but also kind of you know doing it pretty conventionally um and i just felt found these guys fascinating much like everyone has over the last five decades right and i not knowing much about them i think it was very very interesting to kind of literally cover everything from their origins as um you know the band that they started in college and even before that what their the uh, urban uh, renewal <laughs> yeah urban renewal project like I and just then half nelson that, so it went yeah, from urban renewal to half nelson yeah and i just love that they've always just been these weird guys that do what they want and uh they don't really care to make something that you know is just the same old shit everyone else is doing. Even if, you know, music producers tell them like, Hey, we need you to make a dance album or we need you to do this a song. You can dance to. And then like, yeah, literally and, that's the name of their song. Yeah. Yeah. And I love shit like that. And it made me really appreciate these guys. I mean, I love the look of them both. And then you can just really tell how much they've kind of, um, had an impact on people who really, really love music. And for me as an outsider, it was like, and then their love of film, I thought was really interesting too, as someone who's maybe not the biggest music person, but like integrating their love for French new wave and, uh, the Marx brothers and like, and, and like their Jean Luc Godard. Uh, and yeah. Like and, and, and stuff like that. And even leading up until, you know, their, their, their troubles of getting movies made with Tim Burton and, and Jacques Tati uh, Tati. And now they're doing the, uh, Annette with uh, Leo Carax and which and, they uh, wrote and have composed the score for. Yeah. Which I'm very excited for. So um, yeah, I just thought like it, it started off really, really strong for me with a ton of energy. Love obviously hearing the music and hearing the band talk and, and hearing the people that, you know, were influenced by them and just fans of them and all the people that he incorporates from actors to musicians to, you know, um, comedians to uh, everyone who's been a fan of the, of the Sparks brothers. But then for me, I think the length kind of took a toll on me a little bit. Um, so the movie's, I think almost two hours and 20 minutes long. Um, and, Obviously, these guys have a storied history. Eric, you already mentioned that it's five decades, 25 albums, like I think over what a thousand songs or something like that, or yeah, like yeah. Or more. And it's and- just it's just crazy to think about it again, like how prolific they are compared to like how unknown they still are and how you know mysterious and enigmatic they are as characters. Yeah. 
So I think um, that energy that I felt in that first half hour to an hour, I felt like as the movie went along and we got into the latter parts of their career, I felt like it did become even more conventional and you kind of lost some of that Edgar Wright energy or style as the movie went on. Um, but that didn't make it any less interesting. Like I, I still, as someone who knew nothing about them, like I still found it very engaging. Um, I just think the length took a little bit of a toll on me, um, near the latter, you know, 40 minutes of the movie where I was like, okay, I, I know there's a lot in their career, but it was pretty much like, let's start from the beginning and end right as you know, they're shooting a net and let's tell you everything right. <laughs> in a pretty, the story in a pretty still linear feel way. Finished, yeah. Right. Like yeah, that's, yeah. that's the thing that like I got from, from that ending is that it almost felt like where the movie ends. It's almost like they're in, they're going to be on the cusp of their next phase. Like it keeps talking about like how they have these waves, like they keep, you know, having that moment where they're almost there, they're almost there, they're having, you know, critical success and they're near commercial success. And then they kind of disappear, you know, and then during that time of, of being absent, they reinvent themselves and then they build themselves up again. I mean, you know, they talk, some of the people talk about like the idea of it being, you know, going back to the drawing board and, and starting all over again. And it almost feels where the movie ends is we're like this, phase where we're going into now with with a net coming out this this prelude really um almost feels like this is going to be the next act and there almost should be weirdly like a footnote or something added after this year or next year because this might you know bring them back again in 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 a really big way yeah i agree with that and um i'm not saying that you have to wait until you know a band is completely done with to do a documentary about them. But um, I agree with you where the movie ends. It's it, it, I mean, there's obviously even more to their story and I'm, I'm super excited for Annette. just, just knowing a little bit about them or a lot about them now throughout this documentary. I was just like, Oh, Annette's going to be cool. And I mean, um, Leo Carax just, uh, he hasn't made a movie since, since Holy Motors, no Holy Motors. Right. So like, that's so exciting in itself. And then having the Sparks brothers involved, it, it being a musical and, and them writing the script and stuff like that, that, that did get me. Re- and you got to see a little bit of the behind the scenes there um, at the very end of the movie. But um, yeah, are you, were you, you kind of mentioned where, have you been a fan of the Sparks brothers or just like you knew their music through here and there through different films and stuff? Yeah. Like that? I mean, that's, that's how I got my introduction to them is I, I again, like I, I tweeted, I, I, my main criticism to Edgar Wright that I tweeted and he responded to me, um, is, you know, I was lucky to get rad, which is, you know, they use music, um, uh, this BMX spike movie from, uh, the late seventies, early eighties with Talia Shire. Cause Jason Schwartzman, uh, yeah. is, is one of the didn't, subjects. Being didn't interviewed. know that, um, he was her daughter. <laughs> I mean, uh, oh, son. Son, son. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he has great stories about uh, Sylvester Stallone calling him as well, which is which is fun if you want to look that up online. Would, that would make Jason Schwartzman cousins with Nicolas Cage, right? Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Yeah, cool. he's a part of the Coppola cool. family. Prisoners of the Ghostland. You guys can check out our review right, right now. Shameless yeah, going, going back to it, like, yeah. So Fright Night for me was the, the first introduction with Armies of the Night. And then – you know, I I wouldn't say that like I'm a diehard fan because like you you listen to the people that truly are diehard fans in this, whether it be, you know, someone like Flea or you know, and any number or or Sportsman or someone like that. 
Um, and, and where you come in as well is interesting because the period in which I like their music the most is considered one of the worst parts of their career. You know, yeah. like this, the, 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 the sort of slippery slope from, you know, 84 into the nineties. Um, but it, yeah, I, I, I like their music and everything from the documentary itself made me want to go back and really listen to not only, you know, the songs and the compositions. Cause I even talk about that, like the way that they write a lot of their songs is that they start with, not the lyrics, but like just actually sort of writing, you know, the actual music component itself, the, the orchestra, um, the way that it's going to play out. Like it's not just, you know, writing lyrics. And then that's also interesting as well, because the lyrics are written by Ron, who is this, you know, Charlie Chaplin, Hitler mustache kind of guy in, you know, the seventies and eighties that plays the keyboard and is as memorable as his handsome brother, Russ, but is defined by these kind of like weird stares. And you can even tell like people like Tim and Eric probably were huge fans of, uh, you know, their style and, and obviously like even weird Al, like, you know, again, yeah, who's in the documentary, a yeah. predecessor and sort of like they, they're looked at as, as a accordion player, band. weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're looked at as like a novelty act, you know, like they're singing silly songs, but you listen to the lyrics or you hear the lyrics and they're very poignant and, fascinating about you know male insecurity and not feeling like you you know fit in in the world and you're not comfortable in your own skin and that's all coming from ron and the lyrics are so beautiful and dense and and weird and then you have like this a lot of it is upbeat but strange experimental sort of music to accompany it and again it's always evolving um to the point where you're never sure what you're going to get and it's even more crazy to think about that one section of the film that comes later when they actually performed uh, at the time 21 of their albums yeah. each and every night and had to re- rehearse for four months um, that's it's, wild yeah it, it's amazing to think about that so yeah it's it's a fun documentary i totally agree with you it, it, it kind of feels like it gets into a little bit of a slog once we get into the late 90s early 2000s and into today um like the the first half of this movie is so sharp, so fine tuned, playful, inventive, and it's not that the second half doesn't have, you know, it's it's moments. It does, and 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 it's it's very enjoyable from beginning to end. It's just that it's a very long film that that feels like the first half is a little bit better paced and a little sort of more rhythmic with both their music and the style of the filmmaking that sort of creates this wonderful marriage of the two. And you can tell that like, again, Edgar himself as a filmmaker is very much, you know, as I mean, he is, he is a, a music driven director. I mean, obviously yeah. baby driver, but like all of his films, I mean, you're all watching them films heavily involved you're rewatching the them right now. Yeah. So for kind of funny, yeah. Yeah. um, so it, like, and, and these guys specifically make perfect sense because Edgar's always been one of those filmmakers where like he loves so- stuff that's sort of, a little bit out of the mainstream, but still kind of has a following. Like I would say like another it's like band, the cool music people listen yeah, to, that, right? I mean, not, not even just hipsters, but like, yeah. you know, like the alt it's, it's, it's the alternative stuff. Like I would almost say like even something like the Pixies, for example, were yeah. kind of like that underground band in the late eighties, early nineties, but then they became popular because of, you know, where is my mind playing at the end of Fight Club and that kind of like catching on. And then like, 
you know, kids that grew up in the late 90s to early 2000s kind of turned that band into, you know, this reverent, you know, like th- th- these idols, you know, these 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 rock gods. And, and so a lot of their albums from the 80s that sold nothing have become, you know, like classic essential pieces of work. So, but that's never really happened for Sparks. And no matter, you know, whether it's, you know, Todd Rundgren discovering them or working with um, uh, uh, Joan, oh no, Jane uh, Wielding from the Go-Go's, like, it's like they're so, every time they're so close to kind of like having a big breakout success and it just still doesn't work. And like, it was awesome seeing even them working with like Franz Ferdinand in, in the 2000s. Yeah. yeah. And, and trying to kind of like work that out. And I, I was listening to a bit of that album last night and um, it's really, really good. And again, you can tell Franz Ferdinand owes a major debt to them. So does bands like, you know, Arcade Fire and, you know, anything in between. Like, it's not just, you know, bands that were part of CBGB, like the Talking Heads or Blondie or the Ramones that, you know, were all kind of influential or LCD sound system. Like, that, you can tell, like, even they were, like, hugely inspired by uh, uh, the Sparks Brothers and, and just you know, like the album covers too. Like that's another thing that I think is amazing is like they show the Roxy music uh, covers and like a lot of those album covers were considered provocative at the time, but Sparks was doing it before that. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's incredible. I and had vis- no idea. And, and the Sorry, visual puns too, I was going to say are, are, yes. are very funny as well. And yes, very, I mean, visual puns literally pops up on the, on, on the screen. Um, yeah, Nevis, I, I, uh, my fiance Nevis, I went upstairs and I told her I watched this and she's like, did you know I saw them live? And I was like, had no idea. She's like, I would have watched this with you. And I was like, I did not know you cared about Sparks at all. And I'm sorry, because she saw Franz Ferdinand and Sparks together when they when they toured that album. Right. Um, and because she's a big Franz Ferdinand fan. And did um, she get into Sparks after that or was she just a more little so- bit? I think I think um I don't know exactly. We, um, she said she she wants to check this movie out. So I was trying to see if I could, um, if one of the repeat screenings um, worked out for her. But um, yeah, I, I I need to talk to her more. She was we were both busy yesterday too, so we only kind of touched on it because um, I just had to go back down and keep watching more movies. But and the Royal Rumble. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, I I just thought it was interesting. I didn't know that she saw them live. I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah, I, I dug the movie again. The length, I think, was my biggest problem. I think it did kind of lose some of it. It kind of ran out of gas, I felt like, a little bit. Uh, but that being said, it still wasn't any less interesting. I still found the later part of their career kind of interesting. But I just felt like, um, I don't know, I could have... I know that they have a lot to cover, but when you get to that two-hour-plus territory... Uh, um, you really need to kind of keep that energy up to keep people engaged. And I felt like it did falter a little bit after that first hour, hour and a half. So um, I'm going to give the movie a three and a half. Still really enjoyed it. Um, uh, It made me a fan of Sparks. I'm excited for Annette. I do want to go check out their music, which um, uh, I'm not, again, I've always mentioned I'm not a big music guy, but when I watch stuff like this, I'll pop on their, you know, essentials or their greatest hits or, and Edgar like Wright curated a uh, Spotify yeah. uh, sort of introduction to Sparks for anybody that is sort of interested, yeah. interested in sort of sparking their curiosity. Ah, and Eric, your rating? Yeah, I'm also going to give it a three and a half. I I really had fun with it. I think it's 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 a really enjoyable music doc, and 
the subjects are just so likable. And, and another quick thing we should mention about them as well. Um, they, they have the weirdest sort of, not just trajectory career wise, but in terms of the definition of what makes a rock star, I think is kind of interesting as well, because they lived a pretty clean life. Like, you know, there, there's not a lot of controversy or drug use or alcohol and, and like specifically like with Ron who kind of stays away from that stuff. And yeah, they're, 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 they're older men now, but for their age, they, they look pretty good. Like they, they are in great shape and like, it feels again, like, you know, they can, you know, tangle with, you know, the, the best of them still. And I think that that's kind of interesting to show you, like, you know, you don't have to be the stereotypical, you know, live fast, die young kind of thing. That's always kind of projected when it comes with to rock stars, music, musicians like and that. rock stars. Yeah. 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 Totally agree with that. Um, thank you all for listening. Uh, we got tons of other, um, uh, Sundance reviews right here on untitled movie reviews. So please go back and check the feed. There's, I think, uh, you know, 10 plus reviews now that you guys can go check out. Um, we'll still have more in the next, uh, coming days as well. So the Sundance film festival runs until, uh, February 3rd. So you'll have new reviews each day until the end of the festival. Um, you can check out our other two shows, Untitled Movie Podcast and Untitled Movie Conversations. Would love if you guys would go subscribe over there and drop us a review on those three, that trilogy of podcasts, if you would be so kind. Uh, please follow us on all those social medias at Untitled underscore cast. And as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at UntitledMoviePodcast.com. And you can follow me on all of those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Marching. You can find more of my video reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. When am I going to get to uh, sing my way?